0: I've been teaching about what I call Christian philosophy and I've been talking about basically theological issues, about is God a good God, is He the one that puts the troubles in our life and all kinds of theological issues, but now I'm beginning to address some of the social issues and a Christian also needs to have a godly, biblical view towards social issues and so we're dealing with all kinds of things such as homosexuality, divorce or remarriage and things like that. But I believe that one of the most important things is to have a Christian or a biblical worldview on how did God create the heavens and the earth. And, you know, there's a lot of people that look to God for spiritual things and their eternal destiny. But then when it comes to things like uh, evolution, they will go to these state parks where you read that 100 million years ago this happened and Christians just drink the Kool-Aid and buy into this. And I believe that it can be very detrimental to our faith because the scripture very, very clearly says that God created the heavens and the earth. He didn't do it over millions of years. And we're going to be discussing all of this. But, you know, when I get off onto these things, there's a lot of people that think, well, you should stick with the Bible. You don't know what you're talking about. And so for that very reason, today we are at the creation Evidence Museum in Glen Rose, Texas. And this is Dr. Carl Ball that I've got with me. And brother, I just want to thank you so Andrew, much for letting us
1: welcome. Come. Welcome to the Creation Evidence Museum. That's awesome. I could hardly wait for you to get here. And you named it right. In fact, I felt moved of the Lord to, uh, to coin that name, Creation Evidence, because we have actual mm-hmm. evidence supporting the Bible that you and I believe.
0: And I think that this is just essential, Carl, because if people believe that all of the things said in the Bible, and it's not just the book of Genesis, the first couple of chapters, but I mean all through the Bible, it talks absolutely. about how God created, how he made this, and yes. the heavens declare his glory. And if you give up on that point, then basically people are going to sit there and say, well, the Bible's not accurate. You can't trust it. And yet that is absolutely untrue. Absolutely. Revelation 4.11 Thou
1: art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created.
0: And so this is essential to me in my faith, and I believe it's the same for other people. So rather than me just say these things about physical issues, and I know I would say something wrong, I wanted to bring you on as an expert and have you share with our audience. So uh, for just a moment here, would you tell people why you are qualified to talk about this?
1: Well, first of all, every human being is preoccupied with four essential thoughts. Who am I? Where did I come from? That's life origins. That's what we're talking about, creation or evolution. What's my purpose here and where am I going? Every one of us is preoccupied with those thoughts, with every experience we have. So it's the second one, if we buy the lie, and I did for long periods of time, Oh, I bought into it. I taught it. There was oh, really? a time when I thought not only evolutionary thoughts, but atheistic thoughts. And, uh, yeah, and I bought the lie of evolution. So credentials number one, I'm a human being who found the answer to those questions. Amen. I have had a few decades of academic work. I hold a Ph.D. in education. And I hold a, a doctorate in theology. I hold a doctorate in biblical archaeology. And uh, I work in paleontology, even though I have no credentials there. Uh, and I've had the privilege of discovering and directing the excavation of 16 different dinosaurs. Now, and when where, I sp- where were those? Uh, one, the first was here, a large acrocanthosaurus along the banks of the Paluxy. The one that I discovered is as large as any ever discovered. And the others have been in northwestern Colorado, assisted by a very fine group of individuals and a master excavator, Joe Taylor. Joe Taylor told me the density of our bones is as great as that, as the national park. Then, uh, in, in addition to those credentials, I have the privilege of having excavated and directed excavations in Israel extensively. But... I've had the privilege along the banks of the river, the Paluxy River, to see my entire paradigm completely shattered. Andrew, when I first got into this work, I was completing my master's in archaeology. And my mentor, Dr. Clifford Wilson, said if you're going to refer to the Paluxy evidence, you're going to need to go to the river and carry on one original excavation. Well, I intended to be here for one excavation, but the course of my life was changed. When I directed that first excavation along the banks of the Biloxi River, I was an old age creationist. Now the audience needs to know that the Kool-Aid comes in various flavors. There's first outright atheistic evolution. Then there is theistic evolution Mm -hmm.
0: I'm aware of those two.
1: Then there is the day-age theory. There's the gap theory. Yeah. And then there's the concept that many Christians hold to, that God created. But he used long periods of time to do it. A day is as a thousand years, mm-hmm. a thousand years as a day. Little knowing that when Peter referred to that, he was not talking about creation. That's true. He was talking about judgment. Mm-hmm. But I held to old age creation. At that point I believed that the geologic column, the record in the rocks, showed life forms that were basic, life forms that were more sophisticated, and then ultimately life forms that were incredibly complicated. Little did I know that the basic life forms are more complicated than evolution can ever Mm -hmm. hope to address.
0: But evolution is built upon this thing that it starts out very simple and comes to the complex. Yes. And yet everything in nature is opposite this. Everything goes from complex to simple. It goes from order to disorder.
1: But literally, uh, evolution has been redefined in order to slip it in under the rug. It's been redefined as change over time. However, what they don't say is that that change has boundaries. So they slip in the concept that, well, a tadpole can ultimately become a monkey that can ultimately become a Ph.D. Change over time. But that change has limitations. The change never leads with billions of years spent in the laboratory with experimentation. That change never leads to a higher order. It never increases the complexity. It might isolate the gene pool to get a superior product temporarily. Change over time is limited. And in the final product, It is always downhill, never increasing in complexity.
0: And evolution is dependent upon that very thing, that the species evolved into different species. There is change within a species, but never from one species to the next. You
1: are right. It is always a lateral change. Mm -hmm. It is never a vertical increase of complexity. In fact, I got a call from a reporter recently. That reporter said, sir, I've been watching you for years and I want to come interview you. And I said, welcome. I've had over 2000 interviews on, on this evidence. And mm-hmm. the, uh, most of them are surprised that I was an evolutionist in the past.
0: Yeah, I didn't know that. That kind of strengthens your position because you've been oh, on yes. both sides. Of I, this I've been issue.
1: on both sides. In fact, I think we should know more about evolution than the evolutionist himself does. The more you know about evolution... You know, it is completely scientifically untenable. It's not fact. It is assumed to be true. There are seven assumptions that begin with a universe creating itself out of nothing. Mm -hmm. And it goes from there to inorganic material somehow creating organic material. An absolute assumption? Billions of dollars have been spent in the laboratory to try to to show how that could happen. In fact, uh, I wrote a book. Why do men believe evolution against all odds? And I quote a leading evolutionary scholar who admitted, not only do we not know how inorganic natural chemistry evolved to become organic living chemistry, not mm. only do we not know how it happened, we can't imagine how it could have happened. Yeah. And he admitted that. That's not a creationist making that statement. No. So many in the audience are, are thinking, well, evolution has been proved. Let me just give one statistic. You have in your body over a 100 trillion cells. In every one of those cells, in every one, there are 60,000 proteins in a hundred different specific configurations. You mix those configurations up and that cell begins to die. It won't function. What are the scientific odds? And this is from the technical literature. What are the scientific odds that those 60,000 proteins, let's just just give them somehow the ability to assemble themselves. Now that's a miracle, an absolute miracle. But let's assume that those sixty thousand proteins somehow just sprang up. What are the odds that they could self-assemble? In the technical literature, it is one chance, one chance, in ten to the four million four hundred seventy-eight thousand two hundred ninety-six power. Now let wow. me repeat that. One chance, one chance, in
0: ten to the four million four hundred seventy eight thousand two hundred ninety six power and you know I was a math major and one of the things that I studied was the law of probability yes and anything to the what the 50th power
1: well, one chance in 10 to the 50th has is, zero
0: it is absolutely impossible it cannot happen and you're talking about something that is infinitely bigger than that.
1: infinitely bigger and the chance infinitely smaller which really means it happen. That the probability, putting it, the shoe on the other side, the probability that every cell in your body was designed by a designer, that every cell was designed by a designer, is 10 to the 4,478,296 power to 1. I'll tell you what, if I had those odds, I'd buy a lottery ticket. Yeah.
2: And,
0: you know, people that aren't familiar with math, that is not just four million times. No. Because each time you go up, it's ten times.
1: It's ten times. You Each number up is multiplied by ten.
0: It's just, it's astronomical. You know, here's another little layman's definition. And, again, I'm going to keep drawing these things back in for Good. those who aren't technically Good. inclined. But if you were to take the entire combined resources of of people on this earth, billions of people, all of our geniuses, all of our money, combine every laboratory, and then you take all of these proteins that you're talking about in rare form, all of the intellect and collective ability of man couldn't produce a one celled thing that no. wouldn't work. And if it couldn't be done on purpose by people of intelligence, it is absolutely absurd to think that this just randomly happened.
1: Well, let's follow that thought. You're a good thinker. Evolutionists say, okay, well, it, it wouldn't happen quickly, but give it enough time. Yeah. Well, time is not on the side of the evolutionist. That's right. You see, every living cell must have a support mechanism And without that support mechanism, in a matter of minutes, it begins to deteriorate. And in a matter of hours, it's dead. Mm -hmm. So time is not on the side of the evolutionist. Back to that reporter who called me. He said, I've been watching your work for a number of years. I want to know what keeps you going. It must be your faith. And I said, sir, it's not my faith. I said, in this issue of life origins and evolution versus creation, or creation versus evolution, the evolutionist has a lot more faith than I have. Mm -hmm. That's true. I have facts to base my conclusions on creation. What keeps me going? Truth keeps me going. I said, I have found the truth that there is evidence for creation, and we have evidence supporting creation. And... uh, Evolution begins with seven assumptions. Creation begins with one. The one assumption for creation is this. We find such complexity Mm -hmm. in the heavens, in the earth, in living systems, especially in the human body and mind. We find such complexity. It demands a creator. There is no way naturalism can produce it. I have spent over 40 years researching what the world was like before the flood. And uh, I wanted to know what caused those dinosaurs Mm -hmm. to uh, get so big. You know, Seismosaurus could raise his head in the air 70 feet and then could rear upon his hind limbs and raise his head 90 feet in the air. He was 140 feet long, weighed 200,000 pounds. I wanted to know how creatures got
0: so big. Now you need to explain just I've heard a little bit about this but a biosphere is where you reproduce the atmospheric conditions and things before the flood. Right. A
1: biosphere is a vessel where a person or living systems can function. So this is a big vessel and in it we increase the atmospheric pressure. We because filter
0: prior to the flood you believe that the atmospheric pressure was higher. Yes. And uh you filter the light. We filter you you have done your well, own I've, work. I've Told you, I've known about you for a long, long time. <laughs> I've been an admirer from a distance.
1: Thank you. And and we increase the atmospheric oxygen, we increase the humidity and the carbon dioxide. So uh, we have built a small version. We now have a larger version. Uh, we're a few dollars short, like three hundred thousand short of getting that. Just a few. That, uh, just a few. Uh, but in God's good time, as you've already indicated, we've built a small one. We're now building a huge biosphere that weighs 92,000 pounds, 48 feet long. In the small one, we ran experiments to see what would happen to living systems. At uh, certain hospitals, they have hyperbaric chambers for wounds, for healing, for snake bite, for brown recluse spider bite. But the biosphere is much more sophisticated than they have at these university hospitals. And, and we have other uh, information. I, I want to know what the real facts were. That's
0: the reason I established the museum. That's the reason I came to Glen Rose. Well, let me go back to one of the points that you made. It, uh, and I don't know if you can say this concisely or not, but the uh, Noah's Flood is really the explanation for so much of the uh, stuff that the evolutionists say about dinosaurs. Yes. Because they believe that this happened millions and millions and millions of years ago. But you are saying that with the pre-flood conditions, yes, that animals, plants, like I saw in a previous video of yours, that you filtered the light and let only that one wavelength through, and put a higher pressure, and plants would grow astronomically oh, yes. big. that's been demonstrated in the secular literature. Matter of fact, you've got a footprint
1: right over here. I'm looking at that. Uh, tell us, tell us about this footprint. Oh and, yes. Well, everything was larger in the past. In the pre-flood world, I wanted to know why dinosaurs got so big. I wanted to know why lapidodendron, which is a lycopsid club moss. We grow them today, but they get 16, 18 inches in height. But in the fossil record, they got up to 120 feet tall. Wow. How could things get so big? Everything was larger in the
0: past. There are remnants well, The Bible, of, Bible even verifies this, talking about the giants. The there giants were giants in the earth the before the flood. And, of course, Goliath, there's difference of opinion, but some people believe he's at least 9 foot 9 on up to 12, 13 foot tall. Let That's me, in the Bible.
1: Let me tell you a story. We have a footprint. Now, to the controversy at Glen Rose. That's what brought me here.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I had heard and did not believe that. Uh, There were human footprints with dinosaur footprints. I still held to long age. So I came and directed that excavation. And my mentor said, all you have to do is excavate one original dinosaur footprint. Well, I assimilated the team. I did excavate that dinosaur footprint. But the team said, let's keep going. So we did. Over the course of four days,
0: we had excavated, at that point, 19 dinosaur footprints. And you just found these in the rock? Uh, fossil layer along the uh, uh, the Paluxy River. River
2: well I knew where to Glenn start. Glen Rose
0: is where? Tell everybody where. Glen Rose going. is southwest
1: of the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex about an hour and a half mm-hmm. southwest and dinosaur footprints have been known and there was a report that human footprints were among them but I didn't believe it because according to evolution the last dinosaur died out sixty four million years ago And the first human didn't appear even in primitive form until two and a half million years
0: ago. Oh, really? So that's a variation of 60 plus million years? 60 plus
1: million years. And sophisticated man didn't appear until a few tens of thousands of years ago, according to evolution. And I held to that, even though I held to it in a creation sense, a progressive creation sense. And some people still hold to this, that God created each life form but he did it over vast periods of time. Created a life form, he let uh, that settle in, and later he introduced another life form, let that settle in, and finally, he said, I've got this just right, so he created man. And I held to that, but as we peeled back these layers of rock, and I delicately excavated through the clay, there was a human footprint 17 and a half inches from a dinosaur footprint. And that blew my mind.
0: Now, you discovered this? or was yes. it all, Had it already oh, no. been? I, I discovered, discovered it. You unearthed it. Oh, yes.
1: And, and the team and I, they did most of the work, and I got the credit. You know, you know. You were uh, the, leading the. Oh, yes, field. directing it. And, and they were very happy to be a part of it. They peeled back the limestone, and then I delicately excavated through the clay to the next layer beneath. And then I continued the excavation, and there were four of these prints. And I called the press. I expected them to come down in a few days. They flew down by helicopter. The next morning, I went to the airport uh, to fly out of town. And the front page of the newspaper, uh, Fort Worth Star-Telegram, said, Track Step on Evolution, Mm. front page. And they reported this. And what what was the date of this? That was late March 1982. So uh, I had to accept it, but I didn't sleep for four days and nights (laughs) because it completely skewed my paradigm even though I was a creationist, I still held to the long ages. Mm-hmm. So we're back to the biblical record. And there were giants in the earth before the flood. We have a footprint from the looters formation that's out in West Texas uh, of Abilene. That's the Permian Basin. Mm-hmm. And according to evolution, that hard sandstone of the Permian Basin is about 230 million years old. Well, now, According to evolution, man didn't appear until two and a half million years ago, even in primitive form and in sophisticated form. He didn't appear until a few tens of thousands of years ago, according to evolution. A footprint, in fact, a series of footprints, we have one of them. A footprint was found in that Permian rock. We took that to laboratories, two separate laboratories, and ran spiral CAT scan analysis, reading through the rock to determine if the print is genuine. You see, when a genuine dinosaur or human footprint is discovered, if you take that into the laboratory, the compression density made when that creature, man or a dinosaur, stepped in the mud, the compression density creates a factor that it is, the lines are more dense, mm-hmm. and it shows in the rock. They're compressed, right. not only under the print, but as the foot moves beside and ahead of the print. Everything I'm going to show you with the footprints here, we've taken to the laboratory. Every one of these footprints has compression density under and to the side. They're genuine. We have a footprint from the Permian Basin that is 17 inches long. And when we first got it, I said, I'm going to take this to the laboratory. But it's not going to show any compression because I don't believe it's genuine.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: We took it to the laboratory, two of them. It is absolutely genuine. The compression is there. And isn't that too big? Well, there were giants in the earth, the Nephilim. Mm-hmm. But then I remembered. Back in about 1987, I was listening to CBS. They said in Mozambique, the missionaries reported that a girl came out of the bush to get her shots. She's 13 years old, 10 feet, 4 inches tall. Wow. And you said Goliath was about 9 and a half. I think you're right, 6 cubits in a span. Mm-hmm. Here's this girl, 13 years old, 10 That's feet, amazing. 4 inches tall her foot would be longer than 17
0: inches. You know, I was at a a boxing match in Fort Worth when I was 18 years old, and there was a man down close to the ring who was bald-headed, and it looked like he was standing up the whole time. And I wondered, why is this guy standing? And then he stood up. He'd been sitting down. Oh and he was a giant. And I ran down and stood next to him, and he was called the Corn King Giant. I don't know if you ever heard of him here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, but there was a Corn King, some product, and, and uh, he promoted their product. And I stood next to him, and my eyes came to his belt buckle. He oh was 9 foot 9 inches tall, nine and nine. I stood next to that man. So I know that those things can happen. And I'm looking at this footprint right here. And even though most people would uh, say that that couldn't be true, you've had that uh, uh, scan on it. Oh yes. and the compression is there, that is an accurate footprint. And let me just go back to one thing that we said at the very beginning of this, uh, that if man and dinosaurs were supposed to be separated by millions over 60 over 60, or two 64 million, million years. If they were supposed to be separate, what does that do to evolution if you can put a human footprint with a dinosaur footprint? I'm
1: glad you asked that. Dr. Ernst Mayer, considered the world's leading evolutionary biologist, Dr. Ernst Mayer of Harvard, said in a debate with Dr. Dwayne Gish, a leading creation scholar, Dr. Ernst Mayer laughed in the debate, and he said to Dr. Gish, the creationist, public debate, if your friends along the Biloxi River, Glenrose, can actually prove that man and dinosaur lived contemporaneously, he said, Dr. Gish, that would devastate our entire theory of evolution. We would have to start all over again. Amen. And, and he admitted that. Amen. And it does. Every time we excavate or discover or acquire a new human footprint or artifact, that dates back at least to the dinosaur era. First thing they say is, everybody knows those footprints are carved and then they hang up. You see, back during the Depression, a man named George Adams verified the human footprints. They had been found by Charlie Moss in 1918 when he returned from World War One.
0: Now this is out in West Texas, Permian no, Basis? No, back or, to Glenrose. Rose. So putting these two stories together... Okay.
1: In Glen Rose, the dinosaur footprints had been found and then the human footprints had been found by Charlie Moss. So a man named George Adams learned that he could cut human and dinosaur footprints out of the river and sell them for $200 during the Depression. That was a lot of money. Yeah. Still is a lot of money. So he found another way to do it. He was good at what he did. Under a shade tree, he carved about half a dozen dinosaur footprints and two or three human footprints and sold them. And they were pretty good. Now, we've never carved any footprints. Footprints. I don't know anyone who ever has. While one man did carve a few footprints and sold them, he carved them because there were genuine footprints available to use as models. Mm -hmm. So we now are armed with the laboratory technique to read through the rock and determine what is genuine and what is not.
0: So have any of your critics ever come and wanted to examine your fossil, or do they just write it off because they're predisposed to believe in evolution?
1: I I sent out letters in 1982 after the first excavation that blew my mind. Later in the summer, I invited scholars to come and I sent out letters to major universities inviting their paleontologists and their anthropologists to arrive. And some of them did, but they stood in the distance. They wouldn't even talk to me. Until after the press had left and after I had gone, then I went back to the area. Days later, one anthropologist from a major university was there. She had been brought there by one of our major critics. But she wouldn't show up when I could give an explanation. So um, there were four human footprints. These footprints were 16 inches in length, but one of them had been cut off by the dinosaur. He stepped on it, but you could see the, the front portion of the print, the toes and everything. The other had been compressed. So she wrote in her official anthropological report, I examined balls for human footprints among dinosaur prints. She said one of them is 16 inches in length. It's curious. One of them is 10 inches in length. One is four and one is six. And she She said, that's not a series of human footprints, but she never even mentioned that the one that was four inches in length was the front portion with all the toes of a human print. The one that was six inches was compressed, but the 16-inch one was complete. That's what uh, we face all the time. We've had... Uh, I guess one illustration, uh, a professor, a leading evolutionary scholar, became a creationist recently. And uh, one of our friends contacted him and said, well, I thought you were an evolutionist. He said, I was. I thought you taught evolution. I did. What changed you? He said, well, I kept watching and kept reading about the evidence that this fellow at Glenrose presented, and I couldn't ignore the evidence. And he became a creationist.
2: That's
0: awesome.
1: Dr. Anthony Flew, one of the world's leading atheists, a few years ago, became a creationist. He has not yet become a Bible-believing creationist. Now, is this
0: the man in England?
1: The man in England.
0: I read about that. I didn't recognize the name.
1: And he was asked why he became a creationist. Mm -hmm. Dr. Anthony Flew said, admitted in writing, that I've taught atheism. I've been one of the world's leading atheists. But... Institute for Creation has exposed enough information that cannot be denied, that living systems are so complex they require a designer. And he said, "Uh, so I guess I could be considered a creationist.
0: Am I correct in saying that when people refer to uh, intelligent design, they aren't necessarily believing in God, but they're believing that some being or something controlled this. And that's not the same thing I'm talking about, creationism, but...
3: You,
1: you are correct. Now, there was a time I went through the series of atheistic evolution, then theistic evolution, and then progressive creation, and then long-age creation. Once I was brought face-to-face with the evidence at Glenrose, and actually excavated human and dinosaur prints together. Andrew, I went back to my Bible. And I found that it was exactly as God said all along. Dinosaurs are found in the Bible. They're found in Job chapter 40. Mm -hmm. They're called behemoth, chief of the ways of God, with a tail like an entire cedar tree. I had to go back to my Bible, and I had to embrace literal creation. And where I had compromised some scriptures, I had to let God straighten me out. I believe that Bible 100%. -hmm. There's a movement called the Intelligent Design Movement, they have done an incredibly masterful, beneficial body of work to support creation. But they have held to the long-age concept and, and refused to identify the Creator, hoping that that will give them standing, academic standing. But really, it doesn't. The evolutionist knows that it's one or the other.
0: You can't... Yeah, I, I believe that's true. And I, I don't believe you can claim to really believe in the authority of the Word of God and hold on to evolution at the same time. If you look beyond just the Genesis account, the Genesis account disproves evolution, but if you look into many, many, many other scriptures that just clearly state oh, yes. that, that God created man and on the sixth day he did the, I mean, there are just so many things. It's not just Genesis. You couldn't truly believe in the Bible and evolution. They're, they're mutually exclusive. Let me give you the bottom line. I believe in recent creation because
1: in Mark chapter 10, Jesus, who did the creating, who is the ultimate authority, Jesus said, from the beginning of the creation, Mm -hmm. not 16 billion years after a big bang, not 550 million years after the trilobites, the first living systems, from the beginning of the creation, he created Adam and Eve and established the home. Amen. Now, why is that so important? Jesus is the absolute authority. Mm -hmm. I hope someone's getting this. Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, God created man and established the home from the beginning, the very first week of creation. Now, if Jesus was wrong,
0: Andrew, we're in trouble. I mean, we're in serious trouble. Our whole faith hinges on the accuracy of this word. If this is only men writing about God, then it's subject to error. But if it's God inspired the way that Peter claimed it was, then it can be trusted, but you have to trust these facts. Evolution has attacked the accuracy of the word of God. Uh,
1: There is more evidence for a recent young creation than there is for any long age. But now, what if Jesus is wrong? If Jesus is wrong about when God created Adam and Eve, that's biblical Genesis Mm -hmm. recent creation. If Jesus is wrong, then he's not qualified to be our savior. He's not not God. God. And God's he's not God wrong. in the flesh. That's right. And if Jesus is wrong, we have no one to take our place. That means we have no hope in time or eternity. That's true. But Jesus was not wrong. No. And I believe this 100%. I want you to get to hold something. Oh, I'd love to do it. And uh, If Noah's Ark really is there, and I have seen a large component of Noah's Ark, uh, under the auspices of this little museum and Dr. Don Shockey, We flew 11 separate helicopter sortie expeditions around Mount Ararat in 1990. And as we did, we had access to our satellite surveillance, which gave us the location. And uh, as we flew that location, I personally saw higher than any army could cart it. I personally saw a huge beam of laminated wood sticking out of the ice and snow. About 12 feet long, about 4 feet thick, a huge beam. Now, the Bible says God told Noah to uh, build the ark and to use wood. Gopher, wood. Gopher is not a species of wood. The word gopher means to house in. That means that every component of the ark was structured together. Now, if the ark is really there, That changes the science of anthropology, science of man. Because man then does not trace his history from lower life forms through the primates to evolutionary development. He traces his history coming off the ark. If the ark is there, it changes anthropology. It changes geology. Geology is the record of the rocks, the record of the earth. Then that means if the ark really is there, there was a worldwide flood. That means that geology must be interpreted according to that worldwide flood, not according to long evolutionary development. Right. It changes all the sciences. In 1968, Dr. Bud Crawford led the search expedition. They were led by Fernando Vero to the site where he had discovered some wood they discovered some more wood. They carried it off. Very few hands have ever touched this wood. In time, Dr. Bud Crawford's family placed this permanently with the Creation Evidence Museum, one of those pieces of wood. In the laboratory, they had had it cut to make sure it was saturated with pitch, with a resin pitch. We cut it again, to make sure under laboratory conditions that it was saturated, that every cell pitched within and without. They kept it sealed so that hands would not touch it. You're going to get to hold a piece of wood that came from Mount Ararat, came from the debris field, and we can prove it's within the debris field because of the satellite uh, exposure reading through the ice and snow. We have this for public display, but if some of your viewers come to see it, they won't get to touch it. They will be able to see it. I want the cameras to see that where we cut it, it is saturated. Every cell structure saturated with resin pitch saturated within and without where Dr. Crawford's team had it cut in the laboratory. Same thing is true between every one of these fibers it is saturated within and without with pitch. Now the first thing you're probably wondering about is that one of the nails Noah used? No. That's one of the spikes they use to put this in a condition where it could be displayed without people touching it.
0: My friend, well, this is a you're going to audit.
1: get to hold a piece of wood that could indications Noah's are arc. came from the art. That's indications awesome. are.
0: That is amazing. But yeah. you know, one of the important things about this is that they say that all of this erosion, like you go to the Grand Canyon, it took so many millions of years for all of this to erode. But am I correct in thinking that if you had a worldwide flood with this huge volume of water? That you could have eroded something like that in a matter of, I don't know, hours, days, weeks, or something because of the huge volume of water. It would have to be millions of years.
1: Well, let me address this. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. We have so much to talk about. Mm here along the Paluxy River this is the cretaceous limestone this limestone layer is adjacent to uh the austin layer called the austin chalk cretaceous rock they're they're actually blended as one this layer extends it was first described near austin texas it extends through glenrose now it's sedimentary sedimentary rock is laid down by water geologists now recognize it's laid down very quickly they used to think it was laid down over long periods of time and accumulated. Now they know because of polystrate fossils, poly means many, straight means layers, polystrate fossils running through these layers, that this was laid down rapidly. Okay, from Austin, this layer runs through Glenrose. It runs 1600 miles to the eastern seaboard, picks up again at the White Cliffs of Dover. It runs throughout Europe. It runs throughout Asia. It runs throughout Russia. Back to Europe. It runs throughout Israel. It runs throughout Saudi Arabia. It runs south throughout Africa. Now back to Texas. It runs north from here throughout Canada. It runs south throughout Mexico and throughout South America. This one layer. It runs west. Is broken up by the Rockies. Picks up again. Runs to the western seaboard. Is picked up again in Australia. This layer we're working in is a worldwide sedimentary layer that requires a worldwide flood. Now, one of the most important things we have at the Creation Evidence Museum is the Wall of Truth, a 20-foot wall where we have the actual rock layers that we brought in from throughout the United States, starting with the granite into the Cambrian that, according to evolution, is 550 million years old. They can't prove it's that old, but it has what they call primitive life forms in it. So they assign it 550 million years. Then it goes up through the coal that's supposed to be 395 million years old, goes up through the Permian that's supposed to be 230 million, up through this Cretaceous layer, all the way to the top. Andrew, saturated throughout. This, These
0: systems of layers have been found man-made artifacts. Like 60 to 100, 500 million years before man existed. What about
1: a human <laughs> sandal print with stitching around the side with an Elrathia gingai trilobite? Now, don't let that blow you. That That's, that's a particular <laughs> three-lobed sea bug. <laughs> with one pressed into the heel and one pressed into the toe, A a man-made human sandal print.
0: And if it shows stitching, that would be a uh, developed man. Oh, sophisticated. Yes. And this has the wear on
1: the heel. You know, when we walk, place the outside, and then we Mm -hmm. transfer
0: the weight. This has the wear on the outside.
1: At the bottom of the geologic column.
0: I can guarantee you there's people who have been partners with me forever, And you are going to write in and say, you're just fine when you teach on the Bible, but why would you do this when science has proven that creationism is uh, a false thing, it's all evolution, and you are going to be taking it as it's a proven fact. And again, what Carl is saying right here, disproves evolution, and people will write this off. When we did research for this, we looked up a lot of things, and one of the criticisms by creationism... By creationists. creationists were saying that these footprints were carved, and that was one of my questions. And when I saw the little interview that Michael, one of our TV guys, did with you, you made that point that there oh, yes. were false That's correct. footprints carved. But nobody gave you a chance to explain that, and they didn't uh, explain that you had had a verification of the compression of the footprint. Right. But there are people who will. To not believe in creationism because that makes them accountable to God, that makes the word correct, our modern society incorrect, and they aren't willing to do that.
1: They're willfully ignorant. Now, now there are many. I'd say there are tens of thousands, probably more, who do believe this evidence. But when uh, an evolutionist, a committed evolutionist, uh, calls and 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 we say and he says, so you have a new footprint? Yeah. Well, everybody knows their carved. He hangs up. He refuses, and there are even creationists who refuse to look at the evidence because they think they're all carved. let's look at some real
0: evidence.: That's great let's do it.
1: This is the Willet print. You can see where O. W. Willett, in the mid 1950s, actually cut through the rock to get this out. This was on the park ledge. And it uh, came to fish. Fish weren't biting. And a flash flood had recently ripped the ledge off. So he saw this trail of human footprints, and he cut this out. The most interesting thing about it is this individual stepped on a little pterodactyl track. That's the heel of the pterodactyl. This is the pliable forefoot. Oh, yeah. So we have two tracks. We have a pterodactyl track, and then we have a human track. Now, I had mentioned that there were some footprints carved. Mm-hmm. They were carved because originals had been found actually in the bed of the river. So uh, how do you tell the difference between a carved track and a genuine track? We now have the spiral CAT scan technology, and the spiral CAT scan shows compression not only under the hallux heel area of the pterodactyl, but compression even under this pliable forefoot, and then the compression of the human track over it. Not only do we have this original track with the evidence of it being cut out, the hole is still in place on the park ledge, precisely where this came from. And I mentioned my buddy Robert Summers, the world oh, famous yeah. artist who lives here at Glenrose. Mm-hmm. Bob grew up at Glenrose. He has become well. In fact, let's just meet Bob. Robert All right. Summers,
0: glad to have you uh, come on, thank Bob. You. My,
1: my privilege. And uh, he has sculpted the John Wayne at John Wayne International Airport, Trail Drive downtown Dallas the Byron Nelson, the Tom Landry, to mention just a few.
3: Wow, awesome. Some of these tracks are probably mine. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) literally, (laughs) I've been here a long time. But
0: Dr. Ball was saying that you saw these before they were excavated in the rock layers. About
3: 57, 58 years ago.
0: Are you that old?
3: (laughs) I was Hmm. a young man of 11 or 12. We used to go out to the... Plexi River to picnic mm-hmm. in the area that is now the state park. It was it belonged to a friend of mine at that time. But uh, oh, you know it was it was common for us to go out there and hey, look here's another dinosaur track, and then we'd step over some of these human prints and they said look here I said so what and you can see that at a beach you know let's go here and look at these dinosaur tracks <laughs> not realizing the significance.
0: You didn't realize that (laughs) to have human footprints and dinosaur tracks right together basically killed evolution.
3: I I didn't even consider that, you know. It wasn't even, I said, hey, dinosaurs and men.
1: (laughs) And you do verify that as a young man, you saw this series of footprints? I
3: probably saw that track. I I, I can't verify that, but there were like a left, right, left, right. About six tracks. There were probably five or six tracks, yeah. 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 Wow. And that could very well be one of them.
1: And particularly now that we have the spiral CAT scan technology you, you to know, read through the rock,
3: I had I had some friends here, and one of them was known to carve tracks. But you can tell it in a heartbeat when you see a carved track. And besides that, today's technology, the spiral CAT scan, as you mentioned, will show the compression underneath these. Yes. I didn't. I don't need that to tell if it's carved or not. Mm-hmm. but it kind of fits in with my work yes you know because he's a sculptor and
1: that's natural well not only do we have this but this also is an original footprint now this is in rock that according to evolutionary theory is assigned an age 110 million years of course those ages are simply assigned all of these deposits were laid down in the worldwide flood mm-hmm. of noah's day this is from the permian basin the looters print and uh
0: Permian basins out in uh, West Texas. Out in
1: West Texas. And the Permian Rock, according to evolutionary theory, is about 220 million years old. Here's a big footprint. Uh, It's human in nature. When I first saw it, and the individual who cut it out of the series, cut very close to the ledge, Mm -hmm. when I first saw it, I thought, well, that can't be genuine. But we ran it through spiral CAT scan technology. It is genuine. Of course, it has the great toe, sensitive second toe, third, fourth, little toe. It's from a giant. It's 17 inches in length.
0: Well, now, Shaquille O'Neal's foot's not much bigger, smaller than that.
1: That's correct. <laughs> we have one of his tennis shoes, and uh, his feet are a, were about 16 inches.
0: And so that's only an inch and a half longer than Shaquille O'Neal's footprint. That's right. And wow. Max
1: Palmer was 8 feet 2 inches tall. He had a relatively short foot for a giant. It was 15 and a half inches So it's within the realm.
0: So this is that uh, sandal print that you were speaking of. This
1: is probably one of the world's most valuable artifacts. This is the sandal print with a stitching around the side, curvature of the Mm -hmm. front of the sandal, about an inch and a quarter from the tip of this very hard slate, stitching around the side here, the wear on the heel. It's a right sandal print. Wait this a is, minute.
3: Look at what's in there. Oh, yes. What? That can't be in there. Well, that's an Elrathia <laughs>
1: gingai trilobite. That's the overlay material. And another one crushed here. And uh, He explained this, is, this earlier. <laughs> yes. A trilobite <laughs> is a three-lobed sea bug.
0: Yes, yes.
1: Now, this at is at what the... what date? Well, this is at the bottom of the geologic column <laughs> that, according to evolutionary theory, is signed in age 500 years. 50 million years because of the trilobites. Well, actually, remember uh, Dr. Ernst Mayer stated that if you could find Mm -hmm. a horse fossil or, or something very complicated, 500 million year old rock, blow evolution completely and strongly favor adherence to a creator. Well, this is. is 550 more complicated than a, yes. than the mane of a horse. Uh, and
0: again, I'm not sure that the cameras can capture this, but I can just verify looking at it that you can actually see the exact sandal print. You can see where the stitching is along the edge and all of these things. Whether it shows up on camera or not, it's definitely verifiable. You could
3: really get a close-up of a that. A
0: trilobite. Shh. I've learned a new word. (laughs) And over here, now these are, to me, that one you... I didn't even notice the dinosaur print over there because it wasn't as obvious. But these, the human print and the dinosaur print, are very obvious together Mm -hmm. right here. Very specific.
1: This is the actual hammer.
0: Now, you know, like uh, Bob was saying earlier, he saw the human footprint and the dinosaur prints but didn't realize what he was seeing... We're supposed to be separated by hundreds of millions of years. But now this is tremendous evidence that here is an iron tool in rock. Oh, yeah. How do you get a tool in rock that's hundreds of year, millions of years old? Well, actually, <laughs> in
1: rock, uh, that we th- thought first Ordovician, but it turns out to be early Cretaceous. Assigned an age 140 million years by the geologist. Then here's the cup or huh Isn't that astounding? That is. And this is the one that was found in the coal? In the coal that is supposed to be just under 400 million years in age, 395 million years. Now, if it's modern,
0: then that coal is modern. Yeah, if makes sense. Uh, well, these two things right here, I, if people believe that you didn't manufacture this somewhere, I don't know how you could do it. You couldn't. But if you didn't manufacture this and if this is in rock and this was found in coal, this right here totally disproves evolution. Totally disproves
1: evolution. Now we come to the finger. This finger was found in the same layer with the dinosaur footprints and the dinosaur fossil that Bob
0: helped me excavate the acrocanthosaurus. So that was found here in Glenrose. Here in
1: Glenrose. We sectioned it, that's before we had the spiral CAT scan access. We found the replaced bone, the replaced cartilaginous ligaments. Then we ran the spiral CAT scan later, and we found the distal, medial, and proximal joints, all the three joints that you and I have. Mm -hmm. And the fingernail is there, the taper into the finger. Now we come to what is essentially the icon representing what the museum is about. If you will follow me to the wall of truth, We'll see the significance of all this. Yeah, that's great. The moment you enter the door to the Creation Evidence Museum, you're immediately confronted with a wall. This wall is genuine. This rock and this coal are not fabricated. We had this rock brought from the various locations throughout the United States where these layers, according to geologists, were formed. And uh, this is the geologic column. According to evolutionary theory, that geologic column represents 550 million years of development from early sea bugs called trilobites all the way up to man and his companions. First in the Cambrian Rock, all the way down at what's assigned 550 million years, we have a human sandal print. Now this is a replication. You saw the original human sandal print. Well now, immediately. That blows evolutionary theory.
0: And so the lower on this thing, this is the older according to evolution, yes. and up at the top is the more recent. So yes. here is this sandal down here at the very beginning of the fossil record. At the very beginning? Of hundreds the of years, millions of years before it was supposed to be there. <laughs>
1: 550 million years. Simply <laughs> assign awful. that age, there is no way to prove that that rock is right. any older than any other rock. Sure. Then we come to the coal above that. This is the genuine coal. Here we have a replication of the cup. You saw that cup mm-hmm. a few moments ago. Yeah. And that was found in a huge chunk of coal by Frank Kennard. Uh, then we have in the Permian, a human footprint. There was a trail of nine of these. More coal. We have what's called the clastic dikes, the rolling of the material while it was still pliable. Then we go up to the big dinosaur bone. That's, that was the discovery bone. And in that location, there were 14 other dinosaurs and we're still excavating at that site. Above that, if you look, you'll see the hammer, a replication mm-hmm. of the hammer. You saw the original a moment ago. That's in rock that's supposed to be 140 million years old. Over to the right, the human finger in rock that's supposed to be 110. Then you see the Willet print, and then you see the delt print. Among these, you have plants that are polystraight, that poly means many, straight means layers. So while this plant was in place, these other layers formed; They had to form very rapidly.
0: Because uh, according to the evolutionary, this, this period from here to here would have been a million, hundreds of millions oh, of tens, years.
1: Tens of millions and of years. And yet you've got
0: one plant running up through that. That kind of disproves that theory oh, right yes. there. Yes. And these
1: polystrates are found throughout the geologic column, but they're ignored. If you read the geologic
0: literature, you can't find polystrate fossil. But they're throughout the
1: geologic column.
0: So, Carl, can you explain how all of these layers, that were placed down? How How did all of these layers come? Was it the one flood that produced all of the different layers? The single flood. All of these
1: are sedimentary deposits. Some of these deposits run over 11 states and into Canada. Some of these deposits, like those we're working in here, run adjacent to the material that bands the entire globe sedimentary deposits are water born deposits Mm -hmm. they have to be laid down very rapidly in order for fossils to be preserved you can't have exposure to the atmosphere they have to be encased very rapidly in the sedimentary material otherwise they biodegrade very fast and then they're compressed once they're in this material so every one of these layers including the coal made of organic material, then compressed because of this weight. uh, And I mentioned earlier as we dialogue that uh, we can make coal in one hour.
0: So this coal was produced because of the weight of the other layers on top of it, because of the heat, because of uh, those five things that you were talking about.
1: That's correct. So the entire geologic column does not represent what we have been taught, 550 million years of evolutionary time but represents the activity in a worldwide flood. But let me finally mention this. At the bottom is the granite. The scripture says in the first chapter of Genesis, God said, let the dry land appear on day three, and the dry land appeared. Just let the dry land appear, the dry land appeared, Mm -hmm. just like that. The base to the dry land is the granite. And according to evolutionary theory, it took 50 million years for that granite to form. But the scripture says, let the dry land appear, and the dry land appeared in one day not only one day in one sentence
0: well that's true but i mean it was what the third day of creation it was not spread out over hundreds of millions of years that's right but watch closely in that granite are these
1: tiny little halos among those halos without any associated daughter relationships meaning they're isolated so we have to consider them as specific units we have the halos left by polonium 214 the half-life of polonium 214 is 0.000164 seconds. Now, you're a math major.
0: That's quick. That's quick.
1: It's faster than you can snap your finger. Yeah. That means that that granite was created, functionally mature, and recording what was in it, recording the pleochroic halos, faster
0: than we can snap our finger.
1: In other words, what you found today is there's evidence for creation, just like the Bible said.
0: Now, you stated that very good, but let me give a layman's interpretation that this means that for those radioactive things, that their half-life is less than the snap of a finger. If it took longer than that to form this rock, all of those isotopes would have disappeared. Sure, they they would have been gone. So for all of these isotopes to be locked in granite, it means that granite was formed quicker than that or those isotopes would all be gone. You're right. That's awesome. That's my layman's explanation of your technical thing. Good job. Good but job. But this is great. This is just tremendous. So, all of these layers, how, how did they get there at different times? Or were they all put there simultaneously? Not, or? not
1: simultaneously. It took a year, you know. Like before. waves? Waves, sure. And, and it took. Now, the fountains of the great deep caused the flood at the beginning, they ruptured. Then mm-hmm. the windows of heaven were opened. Channel windows were cut into that canopy and it began to rain, ran 40 days and nights. But it took 150 days for the fountains to be assuaged, to stop. So we have 150 days of this material being ruptured up from the internal structure of the earth and then spread out. And some of it spread out over maybe a few, what's now a few states, some over many states, some of it worldwide, because you'd have tremendous amounts of it, smaller amounts of it. And that's what we find in the geologic record. You'll find sheets of it running over a quarter of a state, sheets of it running over two or three states, 11 states, etc.,
0: and some of it running around the world. Now, yes. let me ask you what this white thing is here that goes up into a different strata okay. of rock. What is this? Okay. That's a plume.
1: So we have represented, and I'm glad Bob called attention to, Street fossil showing that this was in place and these formed very rapidly uh, around this so again we're talking about so this one
0: plant did not live hundreds of millions of years <laughs> that, that's
1: right but this plume is very significant here we have the white material is that and, limestone or uh, that's that's a limestone and that's from Utah where they have a lot of these plumes but the other material is laid in uh, tidal impacts one layer after another upon it but it is so pliable that it's weight causes that plume to thrust up into it so in other words all of that is pliable it is not yet cured lithified hardened into real hard rock that shows it's rapid yeah. and it's in succession That's
0: and so all, all of this, this and all out. of this weight that was upon it just Force some of that pliable material but up into the correct
1: material because that was still pliable, was yet unconsolidated. I Many. bet
0: that doesn't fit into evolutionary theory either. Oh no! <laughs> so how this. do they deal with those? Is this one of those things that they willfully ignore? Uh, well, they say those are beautiful plumes, aren't they? And that's
1: all. And, and the fact that they run up through rock and require a very short time to have elapsed to run up through the, the rock above them.
0: Well, you know, I've uh, read that in every culture, like the Chinese, every culture has a worldwide flood. Over 500 accounts of mm-hmm. a worldwide flood. Among people that don't believe in our God at all, and yet every, every segment of humanity, without collaboration with the other groups, all have this worldwide flood because it actually happened. Yes. That's awesome.
1: Okay. This is the hyperbaric biosphere. Hyperbaric, of course, means added pressure. Mm hmm. And uh, in this, we'll be simulating the conditions before the worldwide flood. Now, I do emphasize simulating the conditions. I wasn't there to
2: monitor. (laughs) You aren't sure?
1: (laughs) So we'll be simulating. You aren't that old, are you? Uh, Not quite. Carefully, we go in. This is the airlock we're in now.
0: Okay, and you you use this to preserve the pressure and the oxygen content. That's
1: right. The pressure will be maintained in here, and when I want to go in, uh, we will pump this up to that pressure then open the door and then reverse. So
0: you've actually got a sphere inside of a sphere, is that right? So that's quite a bit of protection.
1: And all of this weighs 92,000 pounds.
0: Wow. Watch your head, you must have had to put in quite a foundation to we, we accommodate this. And
1: getting this across the adjacent bridge over the Biloxi River was difficult. And uh, this is hyperbolic, that is the ends are rounded, they're oval.
0: What is the purpose for having the ends rounded? Uh, the,
1: the physics of the pressure over oh, a I period see. of time. Yeah. Uh, you wouldn't think that the ends could be blown out, but the seams can be blown out. It's like an
0: arch. Yes. It, it carries the weight better. That's correct. So what are you going to eventually put in here? What is this going to do?
1: Well, first of all, we're going to put baffles in here so the sound will not echo. So it'll pick it up and the sound will be natural. When we pump it up to two atmospheres, the sound will be even better, will carry even better. Uh, We will have a water table with snail darter fish that jump out of the water and go back in.
0: I thought those were endangered.
1: Uh, They... They were, but I think we'll be able to get a few. (laughs) Among other things, uh, we're going to bring in a tuatara lizard. Tuatara lizards from New Zealand have four holes in their heads, in their skull, four little holes called foramen. Those foramen are for blood vessels and nerves to run to the inside to connect with the brain and the interior of the skull modern reptiles have two foramen in their skulls but tuatar lizards have four and dinosaurs have four so technically the tuatara lizard is a dinosaur so we're going to bring some in here
0: so with the things that we discussed earlier with the increased pressure oxygen content these things should start growing and reproducing uh... larger animals and, and long-lived animals uh-huh. Well, according to the evolutionary model, you might create some animal that could replace us and take over.
1: Well, maybe I should <laughs> abort this thing. You
0: know? But evolution is not true. So. I know it. I know it. Uh, and what kind of uh, ultraviolet light, or what are you going to have in here on that? We're going to filter out
1: the intense ultraviolet, because the canopy would have filtered out the intense ultraviolet. But we will still get full spectrum light, just leaving out the intense ultraviolet extreme ultraviolet. And uh, we're going to run various experiments. Uh, We're going to plant a watermelon in here. Someone grew a watermelon
0: 800 pounds. Mm. I've seen pictures of the stuff like that. So in theory your plants that you're planting should be gigantic in here. They should be gigantic because that's
1: what we find in the fossil
0: record. have you ever done this in any of your other spheres that you've got? We've only worked
1: with reptiles and, and fruit flies. Trosophila melanogaster, fruit Mm -hmm. flies. And uh, rattlesnakes and copperheads. So we're going to work with reptiles, but we'll keep them, you know, in their cages.
0: Now, you mentioned this earlier about the fruit flies, but I don't remember you saying what the results of it was. What happened to the fruit flies? In the second generation,
1: we tripled the adult lifespan of the fruit flies. Mm. That's the equivalent of you and I, even with our damaged DNA, living to be 200 years of age, even with our damaged And that behavior. was the second
0: generation.
1: And that was the second generation. Wow. And we didn't use any uh, extreme nutrients. We just them, fed them standard stock. And uh, uh, we didn't use uh, intense nutrients to, to get that kind of growth, we just wanted to see what would happen naturally.
0: Now you had also mentioned that you're going to install like cameras in here so that That's like right. on your online, you were mentioning that you're going online, you, people will actually be able to see the Biosphere and the, re, the experiments That's that are right. being done? That's
1: right. When we've raised the sufficient funds to get all of this online and to get our streaming webcast online, we have 12 domains already captured. So two or three of those domains will be dedicated to this Biosphere. So anywhere in the world, once this is online and once we've raised the funding to get the streaming webcast and all everything in place, which will take uh, about three hundred thousand to finish this, about ten thousand per month to maintain it, uh, five thousand a month to photograph all of our daily telecast webcast, and and to put them online. So it'll take the hand of God to do that.
0: Now, is there any other experiments like this being done that you're aware of? No. And I hold the patents
1: on the biosphere.
0: Oh, so this is patented. So you, this is patented. So uh, if you get this going, this will be the only one of its kind.
1: The only one that's ever been built since God built one before the flood. Wow. And uh, we'll run other experiments. Now, we will not be running medical experiments. We will not be working with human beings. We have medical scientists who are qualified But to bring them in is a very expensive proposition. So we're gonna work with animals and plants and insects and reptiles, that sort of thing. Uh, But it's gonna be very,
0: very exciting. That'll be exciting.
1: So pray that we'll be able to generate the funds
0: That's awesome. Well, I agree with you. uh,
1: And and we agree in heart and in spirit. Uh, We have the technology, we have the technicians, we have the background research. Now, we will learn a lot in the process because this is cutting edge technology. And uh, Bob Summers, that you met earlier, mm-hmm. plans. Once we get this online, he of course is has been recognized as the world's greatest sculptor, and that's not an exaggeration.
0: If you've got all of this stuff, how is it that these scientists uh, gain so much inroad with this and? I, I go back in my mind to maybe the Scopes trial. Is that what it was? Where oh, evolution? yes. Went? How did we get to this point to where they are promoting as fact stuff that is theory and really has no basis in reality?
1: Uh, there came an age of enlightenment. Now, I'm for enlightenment. You're an intelligent person. You're enlightened. You're able to uh, analyze things and ask profound questions and give profound answers. And And we all continue to uh, seek for answers in life. And, and the more active our minds are, the more active our bodies are, the younger we are. Uh, I hope to be active until Jesus comes and until he raptures us away. Okay. Uh, there was the age of enlightenment, but the age of enlightenment introduced naturalism to try to explain everything in life, in life itself and science in particular with a naturalistic process. Now, Science operates naturally because God set the laws. But to explain science without God establishing those laws has mm-hmm. never been possible. That's right. Leading evolutionists have not been able to explain second law of thermodynamics. Yep. That everything
0: goes from ordered to disordered. It, it is. If you put an arrangement of flowers here and come back in 100 years, it's not going to be better. It'll fall apart. You you come back in a week and it's beginning to fall. <laughs> that's apart. right. Everything goes from order to disorder. You cannot observe what evolution is claim anywhere anywhere in the universe. In the, universe. Uh, the stars are exploding and all of that's explained. Now they biblical. will sometimes say like a moth, you know, changes from this to that, but it's just a color phase of the exact same moth. Yes. There, there, there isn't this change that 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 all of evolution is dependent upon, observable, and yet they will claim that it is. You're talking
1: about Biston bisteria, and, Mysteria and that's, the, that's what I meant. To say. Uh, the, yes, about the, the moth <laughs> and the industrial revolution uh, in England, in particular. Uh, what they really don't say is those moths don't rest on those trees. Uh, they had to glue them on a tree to get a picture of it. Secondly. You get moths that are going to be exposed for the birds, and you'll get more of them eaten. So very quietly, you get a a different natural preservation. You see, Charles Darwin used natural selection to say it produced new species and varieties. No, No. it doesn't. It preserves what we already have. So the Age of Enlightenment introduced naturalism. So when Charles Darwin came along, his theory was ready for adoption. There was people wanting to believe that. Wanting to believe it. There was an anti-religious segment in
0: Europe. That's where Voltaire swore that the total elimination of Christianity. And uh, And that uh, was the age of enlightenment. And as as soon as Voltaire died,
1: the British Bible Society bought his home in the press. He used to print his atheistic books of printed Bibles.
0: I think it was exactly 100 years after his birth, and he swore that he would eliminate the Bible, that it would not even be... Uh, acknowledged. On that anniversary, they printed Bibles in his house. From his press. Yes. I love it. Well, this
1: age of enlightenment meant that Charles Darwin had come at the right time. Now, there was a counterpart to Charles Darwin who came up with the same idea, but he wanted God included in this natural selection. Charles Darwin did not. Charles Darwin mentioned God in passing to begin with but then later uh, never mentioned the name of
0: God and, and denied God being involved. Well, now, in the last phrase of his book, I've heard that he sa- he ends by saying, surely there must be a God. Is that accurate or yeah. inaccurate? Early, in early editions. Oh, he uh, edited
1: uh, yes edited that out? Oh, yes, edited that out. And in later books that he wrote, he edited God out altogether. But back to what you mentioned on the Scopes trial.
0: Yeah, how did this become so prominent?
1: Well, in Europe, it became prominent. Naturalism became prominent. Then in America, as we became more sophisticated, we became more like the Europeans. So uh, there was the introduction of naturalistic thoughts, but America had been founded on principles that were unique. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: In every one of the preamble or the constitution of the charter, one of the three, of the original 13 colonies, there's a reference to the Bible, to the Savior, or just God as creator in every one of them america was raised up by god for a unique purpose and unfortunately we have strayed from that purpose and to that degree we have brought judgment upon ourselves but uh, this naturalism found introduction but in tennessee there was a law in the public school system that you could not teach evolutionary theory scopes who was an assistant coach was enticed He didn't teach it in his biology class, but he was enticed to do so, and he he only taught a bit of it, but enough for the evolutionists to bring attention. And uh, so he was actually, his fine was paid by a creationist, his fine for disobeying the school laws. You know, those were good, decent people. But ultimately, it made its way to the Scopes evolution trial. in the trial, you had Williams Jennings Bryan, a sincere creationist Christian. Not totally informed on the issues, yeah. but William Jennings Bryan was a very committed Christian and creationist. Clarence Darrow was the opposition attorney representing evolution. In the trial, Clarence Darrow said, I want you to answer the, uh, the Nebraska man. Now, his technical name was Hesperopithecus Cookie. That technical name was given by Henry Fairfield Osborne, the anthropologist and geologist from the East Coast and from Harvard schools, etc. Henry Fairfield Osborne had said, this is the best evidence for evolution we have in the Western Hemisphere. Now, that's quite a statement. Because in 1923, see, the Scopes Evolution Trial that you're asking about took place in 1925 in Dayton, Tennessee. In 1923, we have had a geologist, Harold Cook, who was excavating in northwestern Nebraska, and he found a tooth. Andrew, that tooth, for all the world, looks half ape and half human. I mean, that tooth was a dead ringer. He just found a tooth. In 1925, Henry Fairfield Osborne, at the Scopes Evolution Trial, had that tooth in a little box. It was sent by Harold Cook. Henry Fairfield Osborne, the scholar, named it in honor of him, Hesperopithecus, Pithecus has to do with uh, an ape who walks erect. And they built all of this off of a tooth? Well, from that tooth, the London Illustrated Times Sunday edition, not only from a single tooth. They presented an edition that presented the man, and he was all humped over. How do you
0: draw a picture of a person from a tooth? Uh, Well, they did. (laughs) You have to have a pretty good imagination, I would
1: think. Well, and you have to skew the data from a tooth. But for the world, that tooth looked half-ape half man. But not only do the London Illustrated Times have this stooped over man with an axe, they had his wife there making some food, they had a child standing by, they had a fence the fellow had built, they had some animals he had domesticated,
0: all from a tooth. And that's supposed to be enlightenment.
1: (laughs) So Clarence Darrow, in a little box, had that tooth. He never showed the tooth at the trial. He never showed the tooth to the creation attorney. And uh, he said, explain to me about this tooth. How does that fit? Uh, That shows evolution. And uh, Clarence, of course, the creationist, said, well, I haven't studied the tooth. Well, give the answer. But I haven't studied the tooth. I need to see it. I need to research it. No, give me an answer. The trial is now. Well, did he ever show him the tooth? No, he didn't show him the tooth. He didn't show the tooth to the jury. He didn't show the tooth to the press. But what
0: about this tooth is so convincing? Okay.
1: That was 1925. 1923, the discovery had been made by Harold Cook. In 1926, after the trial was over and after evolution was then introduced into the Dayton public school system, ultimately the seeds were sown. 1926, Harold Cook went back to the same gravel pit, excavated, and found the rest of the fossil. But what was it? Was it an ape developing to a man, or was it a man that had developed from an ape? None of the above. The rest of the teeth looked just like the first one. The fossil was a pig. A
0: pig. I've heard that.
1: Now, we were able to make arrangements. I told you, everything in the museum requires a miracle. Every step along the way. We have certified from this scholar through the Smithsonian where he worked. We have one of the teeth not the original tooth
0: that was at the trial but uh, the, uh, the that was at that the trial later excavated but from but the that tooth
1: pig. from the original jaw this tooth it's been years since I've touched it and you're going to get to
0: hold it well this is a great honor I didn't know I'd be doing all of well, this uh, it's, holding
1: a little piece of history this is from the jaw of Hesperopithecus Harold Cookiei, the Nebraska man that introduced evolution into the public school system, but it's just wow. a pig's tooth.
0: Isn't that amazing? And from this, this is how the Scopes trial was basically swung towards evolution.
1: And from this, at that trial, Clarence Darrow said, it's a travesty of justice that only one theory of life origin should be taught. Well, once they got evolution in the public school system, they redefined science and redefined all the other issues so now creation cannot be taught that's a travesty that is a travesty of justice and that little pig
0: that's amazing
1: got his pig pen
0: into the classroom that's amazing you know in a sense here you go i'll let you take it back i don't want to drop it or break it in a sense god was on trial at the scopes trial and whether or not he is real versus whether all of this evolved, and that's bound to have made a profound effect upon the whole psyche of the American public. It it did. Well, this just underscores how important this whole thing on creationism versus evolution is. is because once that plank was gone, there's so many things that depend upon us being responsible to a creator. That's right. And if you take that away, well, then that allows for homosexuality. God Uh-oh. made them Adam and, and Steve instead of Adam and Eve. Uh, sure. you, you can justify nearly anything if there is no creator.
1: And disruption of the classroom and the morals and the lives and morality uh, and, and the thinking, the thought process of these children. Yep. If, you, if you don't have guidelines for them as you've already lined out, then the, the You're children. the center of the universe,
0: and so everything revolves around everything. you. And yes. you don't have to think about other people you can abuse their rights yes yes. I tell you the word is accurate and we do not have to uh, be intimidated by anybody who claims that the Bible is outdated and it doesn't understand evolution and all of these facts because they aren't facts I tell you what there's a lot in the Word of God I study it day and night and there's some things you're bringing up I've never seen never thought of
1: you brought us some things I haven't thought of
0: (laughs) we need each other yes Well, that's awesome. I tell you, I sure appreciate this. This, I just think it has been tremendous. And hopefully the results of it will be that people will quit just drinking the Kool-Aid and taking these statements that it's a proven fact that evolution is true. And they'll recognize that the Word of God is true. And it's been tested and tried. And it's uh, outlasted Voltaire, the Enlightenment, naturalist, and also all of the humanist. And it's gonna be around and forever. We'll find out. Yes. It's awesome. I appreciate it, brother. Thank you so much. So
2: enjoyable.